the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where in this episode we are looking at the 2014 film, The Pyramid. This is a film I did see a few years ago, though I will admit, on this rewatch I realised how much I'd forgotten about it. In terms of the format for the episode, we shall start with a little background information, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally I shall review the film, saying what I like and dislike about it, and then just rating the film out of 10 as well. But before all of that, we must set the scene with my dramatic intro. Right. After years of research and excavation, you have just discovered one of the most significant finds in Egyptian history. A unique three-sided pyramid. So, I suppose it's more of a tetrahedron, really. Despite political unrest, and orders to leave the country, you decide to head inside, eager to see what secrets it holds. However, little do you realise that this find is not what it seems, and soon you will face the supernatural dangers of the Pyramid. The budget for this film was $6.5 million, 
and in total, it ended up making $16.9 million. On its opening night, it was shown in only 589 theatres and made a total of $1,369,935. This may not seem like a lot of money, but it is worth noting that the film was released in December, which is typically a low-selling time of the year for new films. In general, films released at this time typically make about half of what the summer blockbusters make. That being said, it did debut at only number 9 in the box office, just behind Gone Girl. On this day, the number 1 film was The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, which made almost 20 times that of The Pyramid. As such, despite eventually making a profit, this film was initially viewed as a bit of a flop, and it didn't even receive a physical release in many territories. In terms of the cast, Ashley Hinshaw plays Nora, who's kind of the main character. James Buckley, who's best known for the British comedy show The Inbetweeners, where he plays Jay Cartwright, plays Bitsy, the cameraman. Dennis O'Hare plays Dr. Miles Holden, who's the father of Nora and one of the archaeologists on the excavation. And Krista Nicola plays Sonny, the director of the documentary being made about the pyramid in the film. Right, we have now arrived at the historical accuracy section. So in this part, I'm just going to talk about what the film does well and what it does poorly when it comes to things like history and archaeology, that kind of thing. To begin with, it is made known that this film takes place 250 miles south of Cairo. And it's here that they find the three-sided pyramid that I mentioned earlier. Just briefly, I should probably say that there is no such thing as a three-sided pyramid. Pyramids have four sides. There has never been one found in Egypt with three sides. They don't know who this pyramid belongs to, but some are musing that it belongs to the very controversial pharaoh Akhenaten. So, if this were to take place 250 miles south of Cairo, that would put it in the region of the city of Samalut. And I do wonder if maybe they should have gone another 100 miles south, as that would put them closer to Amarna, which was the capital of Egypt during the reign of Akhenaten. When it comes to the city of Samalut, it was first mentioned in the 5th century AD in a Coptic funeral text. And even today, most of the population of Samalut are Coptic. So Coptic is basically the Egyptian branch of Christianity, and today is the second largest religion in Egypt. In terms of the largest, that would be Sunni Islam, which makes up about 90% of the population. To be honest with you, I'm not sure why anyone would think, though, that this is the tomb of Akhenaten. That doesn't really make any sense. First of all, Akhenaten has a tomb at Armana, his capital, and it's likely that his body was later moved to the Valley of the Kings, into a tomb which is labelled KV-55. As in this tomb, they did find a body which is believed to be Akhenaten, though admittedly there are arguments for and against this. Interestingly though, regardless of if this body is Akhenaten or not, DNA analysis does prove that it was the father of Tutankhamun, who was likely the son of Akhenaten. Also, it's worth noting that by the time of Akhenaten, pyramids were not being built anymore. The last pyramid to ever be built in Egypt was the Pyramid of Amos, over 200 years before the reign of Akhenaten, and even then, 
That pyramid did not hold the body of Amos and was instead built in honour of him. Bearing in mind that Akhenaten comes from the 18th dynasty, the last pyramid to be built as an actual tomb came from the 13th dynasty during the Middle Kingdom. This was the pyramid of Sobekhotep IV, and it was built 400 years before Akhenaten. So basically put, we already have the tomb of Akhenaten, pyramids were not being built during that time in Egyptian history, and they were nowhere near Amarna. Basically put, saying that this is the pyramid of Akhenaten makes about as much sense as claiming that Set invented McDonald's and killed his brother Osiris because he started Burger King. During this scene, Fritz, the cameraman, is really surprised that there are stray dogs around the excavation. In all honesty, stray dogs are quite common in Egypt, and it is definitely not uncommon to see them around excavations. In fact, as I have spoken about in previous episodes, I'm thinking the Mummy 1959 would be a good example, even in antiquity, dogs were strongly associated with cemeteries. And as I mentioned in my episodes on the Mummy 1959, during pre-dynastic times and even during the First and Second Dynasties, dogs gained a reputation for digging up bodies and eating their flesh. Cemeteries at this time truly were an all-you-can-eat buffet for dogs. And in fact, it's likely that this is why Anubis, a god commonly depicted as a dog, came about. Essentially, whilst other dogs destroyed bodies, he protected them. It was an idea of fighting like with like. Later on in this same scene, Nora claims that the pyramid must predate Akhenaten by generations due to how deep it is in the sand. Nora has left her wording here quite vague, so she can't really be proven wrong, because, well, essentially, she is correct. Basically, let's say you're excavating an old pit from the Roman period. As you dig down in that pit, you will be exposing different layers of occupation. So if you dig down two layers and find a bone, let's say, and then you continue to dig down and you find a shard of pottery, it is almost certain that that shard of pottery will be older because it was found deeper in the ground. There is obviously more to it than this, but at a very basic level, this is a large part of archaeology. A short while later, Nora claims that archaeologists are stuck in the past and do not like new technologies. I can only really go on my experience here, but from my experience, this isn't true. In fact, most archaeologists I know embrace new technology, especially when it can benefit the field moving forward. In fact, I've worked on multiple sites where we've had things like drones do overhead shots and things like that. That wouldn't have been possible even 20 years ago, and yet I've not heard a single person complain about that. Now, of course, I can't talk for all archaeologists. I'm sure there are some out there that are stuck in the past, but I've honestly not met that many of them. And when there are arguments about new technologies and their use in archaeology, it's usually more about how effective they'll be or how safe they'll be. It's common sense stuff, basically. Right, let's move forward to the point where they enter the pyramid. Because they don't enter it in a typical way. Rather than the entrance being in the side of the pyramid, they go in through the tip of the pyramid. In fairness, they do talk about how unusual this is in the film, though I still feel I should mention that the tips of pyramids are solid. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but I always find it interesting that there are more pyramids in Nubia, so modern-day Sudan, the country directly below Egypt, than in Egypt itself. In Egypt, 
there are about 118 pyramids, whilst in the Sudan there are about 255, and it is noticeable that the majority of these Nubian pyramids no longer have tops. Now you may be thinking that this is due to just general wear and tear, and in many cases you would be correct, but also in the 1830s there was an Italian treasure hunter named Giuseppe Farini, and basically he started to search many of the Nubian pyramids for treasure. During his searching, he actually blew the tops off of many of these pyramids with dynamite, and he even destroyed 40 of the pyramids. Not only was this a, a horrendous thing to do, but it was also just hugely stupid, as amazingly, dynamite can also blow up the items in the actual pyramid. Basically put, Giuseppe Farini has a lot to answer for, and ultimately, we will never entirely know how much more we would understand about the Nubian culture if he hadn't been so trigger-happy with dynamite. On to a slightly lighter point. Once again in this film, they claim that Egyptians were five foot tall and no taller. This did make me chuckle as Prisoners of the Sun, the film that came out the year before this, the film that I did last on this channel, made almost the identical claim, and I do wonder if they just took that fact from that film. And as I said in the last episode, in ancient Egypt, women were typically about five foot two, and men were typically about five foot six. So yes, they were shorter than us, but not by a huge amount. When inside the pyramid, they find a room that is full of weapons. Nora and Holden both claim that the Egyptians buried their pharaohs with an armory of spears for use in the afterlife, and that they were usually placed next to the actual sarcophagus. In fairness, weapons have been found in tombs, so let's go with the most famous example, shall we? Tutankhamun. In his tomb, they found shields, throwing sticks, bows, all sorts of weapons. And yes, they were likely there to protect him in the afterlife. Though the idea that they were buried right next to the sarcophagus is made up just for this film. I will also just say that if the weapons they found in this tomb were real, they would be worth a fortune. Firstly, spears are a very rare find because typically they are made of wood and so have not survived. Along the same lines, when ancient axes are discovered, usually it is just the blade that has survived because once again the handle is made of wood. Even when you see an axe with a wooden handle in a museum, usually that handle is a modern recreation. A little later, Holden examines one of the walls in the pyramid and correctly identifies the weighing of the heart ceremony. He claims that when an Egyptian died, they were brought before Osiris and a panel of judges. As he says this, he shines his torch on an image of Osiris on the wall. He then goes on to correctly reveal that Anubis would weigh the heart against Ma'at, the goddess of truth, and that if the heart was pure, then the scales would be balanced and they would pass into the afterlife. Nora then claims that the Egyptians believed they would go into the sky to dwell amongst the stars. This is mostly pretty good, although there are one or two issues. Firstly, Holden claims that the weighing of the heart ceremony came from the Book of the Dead. Although it is present in the Book of the Dead, we have also established that this pyramid is incredibly old and almost certainly predates the New Kingdom. The Book of the Dead only came around in the New Kingdom, so instead, this particular depiction 
would have probably come from the pyramid texts, not the Book of the Dead. As for Nora saying that the Egyptians believed that when they died, they would go up to dwell amongst the stars, in fairness, there is some truth to this for the majority of the Old Kingdom, as the Pharaoh believed that when they died, they would ascend to the realm of Ra, the Sun God. However, even by the end of the Old Kingdom, more focus was being placed on the Underworld instead. It is also worth noting that although they get parts of this correct here, later on in the film, they get it wrong. Basically, we see Anubis enacting the weighing of the heart ceremony. Yep, that's right. Anubis is actually in this film. Basically put, the ending of this film goes a tiny bit bonkers. So in this part, he rips a man's heart out and places it on a scale. When the man is shown to be not pure, he devours the heart. This technically is incorrect. In Egyptian religion, it was not Anubis who ate the heart. Instead, it was a terrifying goddess known as Amit the Devourer, who was part crocodile, part lioness, and part hippo, some of the most fearsome beasts in all of ancient Egypt. And basically, by eating the heart, Amit was denying the individual access to the afterlife, and that individual would cease to exist, which for the majority of Egyptian history was the ultimate punishment. Right, moving on. During their travels through the pyramids, our main characters are constantly being harassed by weird rat-like things. At one point, Nora claims that they are Sphinx cats, which firstly, they absolutely are not. And secondly, Sphinx cats originate from Toronto, so I'm not entirely sure what they are doing here. Either way, Nora goes on to claim that the Egyptians believed that cats, like Bastet, were the guardians of the underworld. Firstly, during the Old Kingdom, Bastet was not depicted in cat form. That version of Bastet only came around after 1000 BCE, and before then, she was shown as a lioness. As a lioness, Bastet was fierce and bloodthirsty, whilst as a cat, she was far tamer. She was more of a threat to mice and other rodents, and could even be approached and stroked. Further, Cats were not seen as guardians of the underworld, and in fact, as mentioned earlier, dogs had more of an association with the underworld, especially when it came to gods like Anubis. In general, when it comes to cats, there is a common misconception that the Egyptians adored them more than any other animal. In fact, this is not true. Do not get me wrong, they did like cats, but no more than, say, dogs or chimpanzees. Moving on to the next point, at one point, Holden claims that many temples in the ancient world were thought to be the dwelling places of the gods. Some of these gods were good, whilst others, such as the Aztec gods, were violent and vengeful. Firstly, in fairness when it comes to ancient Egypt, temples were indeed seen as the dwelling places of the gods. Egyptian temples typically had an inner sanctum, where a statue of the god resided and this statue was believed to house the car, so part of the Egyptian soul, of the god. Most people were not allowed into this inner sanctum, and those who were had to clean and purify themselves before coming into the presence of the god. Each day, a high-ranking priest would enter the inner sanctum in order to wash and dress the statue, as well as give offerings to it. 
the only time this statue would leave the inner sanctum was during festival days, where it would be viewable by the public. So, in this regard, Holden is correct, though I'm not sure why he starts talking about Aztecs. They are a completely different civilization to ancient Egypt, and in fact did not come around until about 1,300 years after the end of Pharaonic Egypt. And not only that, in a completely different country that the ancient Egyptians never had any contact with. I'm guessing this comparison has been made as both civilizations have pyramids. But that's a bit like comparing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang to the Fast and the Furious franchise because they both involve cars. Towards the end of the film, Nora claims that there is a myth surrounding Anubis. She says that Anubis turned his back on the people. He had hundreds of them sacrificed so that he could join his father in the afterlife. However, since his heart was now corrupted, he was looking for a pure one, as his was no longer good enough to enter the afterlife. This is entirely made up in every single way. There is no such myth about this in ancient Egypt, and it has clearly just been included to complement the plot of the film. Overall, this film does not do a good job of historical accuracy. For a start, it has a three-sided pyramid in it, which is not a real thing. They also have sphinx cats running around the tomb, that ironically look nothing like those cats and would not have existed in ancient Egypt. And they show Anubis devouring the hearts of the unjust. However, in fairness, they do get a few bits right here and there. For a start, they are correct that weapons have been found in tombs, and that usually these weapons were there to help protect the deceased in the afterlife. Nora is also correct to say that this pyramid almost certainly would not belong to Akhenaten, largely because pyramids weren't really a thing during his reign. And finally, although they are wrong that Anubis eats the heart of the deceased, Holden does at least correctly identify the weighing of the heart ceremony on the wall of the tomb. Basically put, although this film is not great when it comes to historical accuracy, there is at least some evidence that some research has been done. Right, we have now arrived at the review section. So in this part, I'm just going to talk about what I feel the film does well, what it does poorly, I'm going to look at a few reviews from critics and users alike, and also rate the film myself. To start with, the beginning of this film is actually quite intriguing, as it is set during the Egyptian coup of 2013. Personally, I really liked this as I felt it added a certain level of realism to the film, and also a sense of urgency, as the coup was affecting their excavation. Basically, just as they find the entrance to the pyramid, they are told that they have to leave the country by the morning. It is easy to see why the characters would be frustrated by this, and as such, you can understand why they are breaking the rules here. There are a lot of films out there that have very feeble excuses as to why the main characters act the way they do, and although this film does have that same issue at times, this beginning at least gives them realistic motivations, even if they are not doing the right thing. I feel this is a point that's quite easily overlooked in this film, but it is something the film does quite well actually, I feel. In general, in fact, I would argue that the beginning of this film is quite intriguing, 
and I was both eager to see how the found footage approach would interact with the various tropes of the mummy genre, and I will admit I was eager for them to enter the pyramid. So in other words, the first 20 or so minutes of this film, outside of some slightly subpar acting and an at times awkward script, were actually pretty good. There is also a little bonus as I kind of felt that the, the robot they send into the tomb at the beginning looked a bit like Johnny Five from Short Circuit, which was a film I used to love as a child. When they are actually in the pyramid, quite a few of the deaths are quite surprising. One man gets his leg squished by a massive slab of stone that falls from the ceiling. Then later, his body mysteriously vanishes as blood is splattered around the room. Gruesome stuff. Later, as mentioned in the historical accuracy section, another man gets his heart ripped out of his chest and eaten by Anubis. Historical accuracy aside, what's not to love about that? It's so stupid, but I will admit I enjoyed it. And yet another person gets accidentally knocked into a pit of spikes and whilst she is impaled, she is eaten alive by those weird rat-slash-cat-like things. These deaths range from gruesome to ridiculous, but they always kept my attention, and at least that is better than being boring. When it comes to Anubis, I am uncertain if this is a positive or a negative, to be honest, but I found his presence in this film incredibly funny. He is terribly CGI'd, and also just terribly unterrifying. Also, his appearance in the film comes out of nowhere and it did make me audibly laugh. Again, I am not sure if this is a positive, but at least I did enjoy it. Unfortunately, this is basically where the positives to the film end. For a start, although I was intrigued to see how the found footage approach would interact with the mummy movie tropes, I felt that in reality, this was all very underwhelming, and although the difference between trope and cliché are largely down to personal preference, I personally felt that they focused more on cliché than tropes. If there was an image on a wall, it was nearly always a warning or a curse. The pyramid is built as a labyrinth to keep whatever is inside from escaping, so classic B-movie cliché there. And of course, they make links to older civilizations that aren't Egypt. Because no one in the history of mankind has ever come up with that idea before. On top of that, the film is incredibly lazy when it comes to the use of found footage, and frequently just stops using the approach whenever it is convenient. Not only was this incredibly lazy of the film, but it also lacked any inventiveness or imagination in this aspect of the film. Further, not only is the film incredibly dark, and when I say dark, I mean in the same way that the last season of Game of Thrones was dark, I legitimately had to squint to see what was happening at times, but also, even taking that into account, the monsters in the film looked really fake. In a way, I guess it's almost impressive that they managed to mess up both of these things, as ultimately, you'd think that being barely able to see the monsters might hide their flaws. Finally, at the end of the film, the Sphinx cat things attack Anubis and try and kill him. I may have missed something at some point, but this really confused me as I had seen no hint of this up until this point. Basically put, for me at least, 
it made the ending incredibly random. When it came to the reviews of the film, they were pretty bad to be honest. On Rotten Tomatoes, it holds a critical consensus of 13% and an audience score of 21%. The critical consensus reads as such. Poorly lit and thinly writ. The pyramid houses little more than clunky dialogue, amateurish acting and dusty found footage scares. So it's fair to say they weren't too keen on the film. On IMDb, this film has 4.6 out of 10. And although there are quite a few negative reviews here, there are also quite a few that claim the film is better than the critics say, and there are some who praise the setting of the film. For many of these reviews, it is generally seen as by no means a masterpiece, but a decent enough B-movie. For myself, although I was not a fan of this film, I do agree that 13% is incredibly harsh. Whilst I was watching this, it felt like a film that would have its fan base, even if I am not a part of it. I would give this film a 5 out of 10. By no means was it a film I particularly enjoyed, but there are far worse films out there. Thank you very much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you have, why not consider liking, subscribing, sharing the episode on social media, all of that good stuff. And join me next Monday, where we shall be looking at the 1969 Egyptian film, The Night of Counting the Years, which is something of a different style of mummy movie, and one that I have been really looking forward to covering. Just to whet the appetite slightly, this was voted the third best Egyptian film of all time, and it is based on the very real story of Thebes discovering a cache near Deir al-Bakri in Luxor. This cache was one of the most important finds in Egyptian history, as it contained many of the royal mummies of the New Kingdom. These included the likes of Seti I, Thutmose I, II and III, and even Ramesses II and III as well. What were they doing here rather than in their tombs? Well, you just have to listen to next episode to find out. I hope you all have a really good week and see you then. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.